Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. And now I'd like to introduce our main speaker for the evening. He drove all the way from Dana Point, excuse me, Duke F. Welcome. Hi, my name is Duke. I'm alcoholic. And I remember the first time that I spoke at an AA meeting. I had maybe a year sober, and I was really nervous, and I didn't know what to say. And I asked my sponsor about speaking at an AA meeting, and he said, uh, we don't speak at an AA meeting to act like you're, you know, have a lot of recovery or you're super spiritual or say the perfect thing. He says, the reason why you speak at an AA meeting is to get chicks. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, he was, he was definitely a good sponsor and it worked for me. Yeah. It worked for me. Sorry, ladies or men. Um, all right. I, yeah, I met my wife at a meeting. Um, before AA, uh, without alcohol, without the steps, I'm a naturally uncomfortable person, just uncomfortable in my skin and awkward, and I spend a lot of time in my head. I do a lot of thinking. A lot of my thinking, most of my thinking, is about what you're thinking. Then I start thinking about what you're thinking I'm thinking. (laughs) And then I start getting mad at you. (laughs) Because I can't believe that you think that I think that, because I don't think that, so screw you. (laughs) We might be at a party right now, but don't even talk to me. So... (laughs) Yeah, I'm an uncomfortable person. I, uh, I like to compare myself to other people and see how that makes me feel. <laughs> Not good. Um, yeah, I love comparing you know, myself to like, I love meeting someone who graduated high school with me. Only now he insists that I call him doctor. And, <laughs> I um I remember in in high school I uh I met one of those girls that was like have you ever had a relationship where it just seemed like it was meant to be the stars aligned and the god said this is the one for you and uh I I went out with the girl of my dreams uh for she she went out with me for 3 months and I went out with her for 5 years <laughs> So, yeah, it's it's difficult going out with someone who's not going out with you. That was definitely one of our big issues. Um, so yeah, like I said, I am I'm an uncomfortable person, and I need fast-acting pain relief. 
And for me, that comes in the form of um, Keystone Light. Um, bottled taste in a can. Um, so, yeah, alcohol just made me feel normal. Just made me feel uh, like I could talk to people. Um, yeah, it just made me feel regular. And I loved it. I love alcohol. It's the best thing ever. And um, to me, um, alcohol is not the problem. For me, alcohol was the solution. I was the problem. And um, alcohol worked for me. It made me feel great. And um, just unfortunately, there came a day when alcohol was no longer wacky, crazy, or zany. And... um, that's that's when you that's when you end up in AA. Um, that and um, the judge tells you to go. So um, I, when I was ni- when I was nineteen, I got my uh, first DUI, and the court said that I had to go to a bunch of AA meetings um, in a certain amount of time. And I remember I went to one, and um, it was really gross, and um, it was just a bunch of old like. biker people and I'm like 19 and I just was like oh this is awful and then so I didn't go to any more but then like that court date was coming up and um I was getting really nervous and so what I did was I just threw a party at my house and passed the court card around and um everyone signed it and that worked for me so (laughs) I've noticed that uh AA doesn't really uh AA doesn't isn't good if you don't want to be here. Um, it, it, it yeah, it doesn't work well if if you don't want to be here. AA just works, you know, if you're if you're really gonna really gonna do the work. So my uh, when I was 21, I got my uh, second DUI, and and by then and also my my dad uh, my dad had died of alcoholism when I was 12. And uh, I, when he was alive, he said, you know, when I die, I just want people, I don't want people to be sad. I want people to have a party. So, like, all of his friends got a yacht and a bunch of alcohol. And, and that was, like, the first time I got drunk when I was 12. But uh, I, I just saw, like, the path that my dad was going on. I was on my second DUI. And um, it just, uh, yeah, it just, it seemed like I was headed down the path that my dad was headed on. And, um, I, all these things were, were, were happening that was just making me hit a bottom. And, um, the girl of my dreams wanted nothing to do with me. And, uh, I don't know. I was also, um, after my second DUI, I was, uh, continuing to drink, but I was telling all my friends how I was going to get sober. And uh, most friends that are drinking don't want to hear how you're going to do the steps and get a sponsor. They're like, can't we just drink together? And, um, but I remember I told so many people that I was going to get sober, and I care so much about what other people think that, you know, um, I, I made the decision to get sober like at Thanksgiving, but I remember I said right after the holidays. And... Um, so yeah, I just drank through the holidays, just telling all my friends I'm gonna, you know, get sober and get a sponsor and do all the steps and um, yeah, and I remember um, 
January, I was supposed to do it January 1st. My sobriety date is January 9th. And, um, but I, yeah, I finally sat down the drink and, and I um, had all these plans of uh, going to meetings and getting sponsors because I had gone to AA, but I wasn't going to get sober just because of the court. I wanted to do it after the court stuff was over on my own. And so the first day I got sober, I also, uh, well, I didn't have a license because the DUI. So I was like, oh, well, I don't have a license. I can't go to a meeting. Second day, same thing. Third day, I quit smoking cigarettes. And I was like, oh, everyone at AA smokes, so I should probably avoid them for a little bit longer. (laughs) And then, like, I was staying sober, but I wasn't going to AA or doing any of the AA stuff. And uh, I was just hanging out with my old drinking friends and going to parties. Uh, But I was was drinking Snapple out of a brown paper bag. (laughs) And um, (laughs) hanging out with uh, drinking people isn't as fun when you're not drinking. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but um, yeah, drinking parties aren't that much fun, especially when the guy's saying the same thing that he said like three other times, only this time he's like spitting on you. And um, <laughs> So I stayed sober for uh, 90 days without going to any AA. And um, I'm, I'm going to uh, backtrack for just a second. When I was in eighth grade, I, uh, there was a guy across the street, down the street, that uh, used to sell us pot. He was, like, in high school. And um, I just always remember going over there. There's one of those, like, latchkey kids. I was a latchkey kid, too. But for some reason, he was a latchkey kid that could sell marijuana and smoke in his house. And um, so I hung out there all the time. And uh, But I just remember this guy, like, through the years, like, in high school, just always seeing this guy, like, just always wasted. He was just a few years older than me. One time in high school, we all went out into the Ortegas, like a place to go camping, and we just went out there to do LSD and have fun. And um, I brought my cooler, and I remember someone brought a, a, an axe to chop wood. And I remember this guy that used to sell me pot was walking around with this axe on too much acid. And there was like an evil in his eye, and he was just like, just like walking around, like, mumbling to himself. And I remember hearing him go, I'm going to kill somebody. And, um, <laughs> and I was just like, dude, I just want to trip out on the fire. And um, <laughs> he, eventually, uh, he eventually killed my cooler. And um, that's when I got out of there. Um, don't, if you go out, don't mix LSD and axes. Um, so cut to me 90 days sober. And uh, I was 90 days sober. I was, I was in a band, too. And um, I remember I was 90 days sober. I was with this guy. This is my friend, um, David. And uh, I was 90 days sober. He was the drummer in my band. And I remember we were about to go into a club. And I was, I was telling him, oh, you know what? I think I was taking that whole sobriety thing. I was, getting, I was being a little bit dramatic. You know, like, I've been sober 90 days. I might... I might start drinking again. I remember he said he was like, Duke, um, after 90 days, like, you're doing so well. Like, you look better, and uh, you're writing so many new songs. And, and, like, he was like, you're my only hope that anybody can stay sober. And, uh, and just that alone, um, uh, 
a non-sober friend just seen a change in me. I hadn't even gone to AA yet. Just by setting the drink down alone, like all these differences for the better had happened. So I didn't drink that night. The very next day, that guy that killed my cooler at the campground calls me up and he, he's like, he says, hey, Duke, I hear, hear you're looking for work. And he worked construction. So I started working with him. Turns out he's two years sober. And I started going to work with him. He started giving me work. And um, he, he would drive me home. And then he said, hey, do you want to go to meetings with me? So he started taking me to meetings. And I remember uh, when you dropped me off, I just remember him talking to me. And I remember looking in his eyes. And there's like an, a look in people's eyes in AA that it's like a look of, I don't know. Was, to me, it was like a look of love that you see in people's eyes. And I distinctly remember the evil look of the axe guy. And um, I was like, if someone can have that dramatic of a change, then this thing has got to work. There's got to be something to it. So I started going to meetings with him. He started introducing me to people. When I got sober, I, uh, I was 21 years old. I'm 44 years old now. And um, I, uh, my first whole year, it was like, I felt like I was, I still felt, you know, like I'm, I was young. I was like, well, I wasn't that bad of an alcoholic. That's how I felt. My first whole year was like, a lot of it was trying to get my life back on track. I felt like I was behind schedule and I just needed to catch up. I don't know if you guys, any of you guys feel behind schedule, but um, that's how I felt. And I was like, I got to go back to college and... And I got to um, get the girl back, and I got to get the band back together. And um, it was all about this outside stuff that I have to do. And because I felt that I wasn't that bad of an alcoholic, that meant that I was allowed to come to meetings, you know, a little bit late. And I was allowed to, like, just sit in the back and, and um, not raise my hand at any meetings and then just, like, leave right after. And that's basically what I did. And I just focused on, like, getting my life back on track and the, the, the thing is, is I, uh, after a year of sobriety, I had all these plans. I'm going to move up to San Francisco. I'm going to get the band to follow me. And I'm going to get the girl back. And, like, all oh, this is going to be great. So I had a year, a year sober. Barely did, like, half a four-step, maybe. I don't know. Hardly anything. I was just doing this program half-assed, basically. And I move up to San Francisco. I got some roommates, I got into school, and basically after a few months, I was just kind of hitting some meetings here and there, but after a few months, like, just everything in my life started crumbling, like, uh, I was just, like, failing in school, uh, my roommates weren't doing their dishes, it was like they never heard of a sponge, um, the girl of my dreams uh, was going out with her boyfriend, which wasn't me, and, um... <laughs> And I remember I started having these crazy panic attacks, thought I was having a heart attack. I checked myself into the emergency room in the hospital. And this is a year sober. I'm getting wheeled on the gurney in the hospital thinking that I'm having a heart attack. And I'm just like, dude, I'm a year sober. And I'm way more messed up than I was when I first got sober. And what's going on? And... uh it was at that point where I said, I don't care anymore. I don't care about the band. I don't care about the girl. I don't care about the shirt on my back. The, the one thing that I haven't tried is 
AA, the same, just 100%, full force. I knew that in my heart that I hadn't tried AA full force. And I knew that, um, I knew that was the right decision. And it was at that point that the universe just passionately rearranged itself to show me what to do next. And I went to an AA meeting and I got, I got a, a sponsor, one of those guys that has nothing better to do than go to AA. And, um, I started doing like, he was like, yeah, he, AA was his life. And I started doing everything that he told me. He said, um, if you want what I have, do what I do. And he started giving me these suggestions. And he said, uh, arrive to a meeting 15 minutes early, stay um, 15 minutes later. He said, go to the same meetings each week. He said, sit in the front row because that's the intensive care unit and you're a sick alcoholic. And he told me, um, and I never raised my hand at meetings at all. I remember, I remember my first year of sobriety, I would be uh, during the breaks like we just had, I would be hanging out with my back against the wall, just in my head thinking, why is no one talking to me right now? And I, I remember thinking, if I were them, I'd totally be talking to me. And, um, And my sponsor told me, he said, raise your hand at every meeting, even if you don't know what to say. He said, stay shy and die. So, so I, started, uh, I started going to these meetings, and I started raising my hand at every meeting. Even if I just said, hey, my name's Duke, I'm alcoholic, my sponsor told me to raise my hand, and then that's it. And after doing that uh, for just a short period of time, a weird thing started to happen. People started talking to me like they knew me. <laughs> They're like, oh, hey, Duke, what's going on? Just from raising my hand in a meeting. And I started feeling a part of AA. And, um, yeah, my sponsor told me if you want to feel a part of AA, you got to be a part of AA. And, and he said if you want a friend in AA, then you got to be a friend. And then um, told me to get commitments, told me to get a greeter commitment. He said that's like one of the best commitments. You just put your hand out there and... Um, that's I learned like a lot of my social skills in real life in AA. You know, like I can go in real life and just be like, "Hi, my name's Duke. How are you?" And that's something I learned as a greeter. <laughs> so my sponsor told me to get a notebook. He said, "Get a notebook to work the steps, but also to write stuff down." He told me to bring it to meetings. He said. He said, um, listen in the meeting, and every time you hear something good, write it down in your notebook, because you're only going to remember what you remember, and you're going to forget the rest of it. So um, he said, write it down. Write down all this good stuff. And so I would, I have like just notebooks and notebooks of stuff. I remember in the beginning, I was like, how come no one else has a notebook? And um, <laughs> so I just did what he, what he told me to do, and I, I started writing stuff down, and he said that... Um, he told me uh, to write a few suggestions in the notebook first. These are the first suggestions that my sponsor told me to write in my notebook. He said, number one, you're not going to get what you want. It's not going to go your way, and it's not fair. He said, once we get that out of the way, we'll get along a lot better. <laughs> so he told me that the steps aren't about uh, getting what you want. It's about learning how to love the way that it's actually going. And it's about learning how to love the way your circumstances are right now and, and accept them. And, uh, and he started taking me through the steps. And the first step for me, 
you just do the the short version of the first step is just my way is not working. And we we do the first step when we're out there, all of our years drinking and and getting wasted and getting arrested and doing stupid stuff and and spending more money than we have. All that stuff is powerlessness and um, unmanageability. And the second step, the short version, is there's got to be another way. And to me, just coming to AA, you're trying another way other than your own. And just coming to this meeting right now, you're doing the second step. And then the third step is I'll try your way. And to me, the, the third step isn't about turning our will and our life over to the care of God. It's, it says that we made a decision. Just because you decide to do something doesn't mean that you do it. Just because I decide to go hike up a mountain doesn't mean I'm on top of the mountain. It just means that I made a decision. I haven't gone to the store and bought my hiking boots and water bottle uh, and actually drove there and done the work. No, I just made a decision. And the third step is only a decision to work the rest of the steps. And the way you really work the third step is by doing the rest of the steps. And the fourth step, like my sponsor actually just wrote with me. Like I just brought, my sponsor was into top ten lists. He's all, um, just give, give me your top ten, top ten resentments, the biggest ones. He said, when you're, when you're starting the fourth step, think of it like your, your parents went out of town um, and you had, a, you had a big kegger party at your house, and the place is trash, and it's Sunday, and your parents are going to come home, and you've got to you know, clean it up. The first thing you're going to do is get a hefty bag and just start putting all the big stuff in there first. That's what we do with the fourth step. Just let's get the big stuff in there first. So uh, I put the top ten, and, and I, um, I started learning that um, some of the things that I learned about me is that I was afraid that I was less than other people. And I was afraid that it wasn't going to work out. Um, I wasn't trusting that things would work out. And I learned that um, having a resentment is like taking poison and, and expecting the other person to get hurt. It only, it only hurts me. And so... The, you know, we did, we did a fifth step together, and then the, the sixth and seventh steps are about, are, about, are about humility. And my sponsor told me that humility isn't being greater than anyone, but it also isn't being less than anyone. It's being equal to. He said, for you, that's a pretty good deal, because you're only better than, like, seven people and less than everyone else. So... Um, <laughs> So he said humility is a pretty good deal for you. And he, he also gave me a, an analogy. He said, like, imagine, like, you had, like, an old classic car, like a Mustang, 64 and a half, and, and you've just, like, you've just beat it up, and you were just, like, fixing it yourself, but you don't know what you're doing, and, you know, there's duct tape on it. And he's all, it's not about souping up the car, but it's just about bringing the car back to stock condition, so it's not like I'm going to be um, super Duke or anything like that. I get, I get to be just regular Duke. That's a, another thing. Like I just, I wanted to be like James Bond Duke. You know, like um, I was afraid that just regular Duke wasn't good enough. And uh, in the six and seven step, that's one of the things that I learned is that regular Duke is is a, pretty cool. So um, 
I, uh, in the eighth step, that's, that's when we made a list to all the people that we had harmed. And the way my sponsor told me to do it was, he said, imagine that you're on a bus. And he said, think of everyone in your life and imagine them getting on the bus. And if you're like, oh, no, not that person. You're like hiding behind the newspaper or something. Then that person goes on your list. And he said, because the, the ninth step, the making the amends, amends isn't saying I'm sorry necessarily. To amend something is to make it right, to do something to actually make it right. And, and one of the things that I learned is that the ninth step is about freedom. And it's about being able to walk down the street and not have to run to the other side like, oh, no, that guy's here. Being able to like look everyone in the eye. And made all those relationships right. It's being able to walk down the street a free man. And then the tenth step is to just continue. That's like a daily continuance, you know, like if you cut someone off surfing. Sorry, bro. Um, (laughs) Then the eleventh step is um, meditation and improving um, our conscious contact with God. And um, I've had all kinds of different relationships with the... 11th step and um i feel like uh there's you know anybody can go you can go a million different ways whatever whatever is cool for you but i um one thing that i did was i went on i went up to san francisco um marin county they have this meditation retreat center called spirit rock and they have these um silent retreats where i went to a seven day one where you don't talk write, no phone, no nothing for seven days, just silence. And I'm married with two kids, so I was really stoked. Um, (laughs) But, you know, like the first day is like, oh, my God, this is awesome. But then, like, by the second day, your head starts to, you know, get a little chattier. And then by the third day, you're like, oh, what the hell did I do? This is this is crazy. This is stupid. And um and I remember, like, they, they make everyone do chores so the, the price could be cheaper, and I had to clean bathrooms. And some people, like, if you, you're only supposed to do that do this if, if the other person wants to, but, like, if, if you walk up to someone and they acknowledge you, you're allowed to, like, bow to them or something. But if they don't want to, you're not supposed to. And I remember I was, wash, I was cleaning the bathrooms, and there was some guy, like, try, coming into my bathroom that I'm cleaning, and um, he was, like, trying to use it and trying to give me a little bow. And I remember, like, going, screw you, <laughs> you know, like, in my head, like, just being so mad at this guy. He's trying to give me a bow. And um, I just really learned how messed up my brain was. But then, like, come, like, day four, five, six, seven, like, my brain was just, like, whoa. And then it just, like, quieted. And then um, on, like, day eight, when I was in the Oakland airport, it was like I was back on acid. I could hear every single conversation in the airport. And um, it was crazy. And it was like... uh, now it's um, when I meditate, and you don't even have to meditate, just just remind yourself to just be present. To me, just reminding myself to be present is a tool that we can, we can have. We don't have to spend, you know, just a lot of times I catch myself in my head. I think for me, resentment, resentments are about movies. It's resentment means to relive and to like play these movies in our head. And a lot of times I catch myself playing these movies in my head and, and you feel, feel myself getting uncomfortable. But 
throughout the day. We can just remind ourselves, like, oh, I don't have to watch that movie. I can just, like, actually be present right now. And I think that uh, that's, that's a huge thing. And then the 12th step, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps and, and, and sponsoring people, um, I remember I was really scared to sponsor people. When I got to the 12th step, my sponsor told me, he said, uh, learning to um, sponsor someone is kind of like learning to make pancakes. You've got to figure you're going to burn the first few. <laughs> so, so just go for it. And, and also I remember, uh, so yeah, I just went for it. I also learned here in AA, this is... Some of the tools that, like, I've changed my whole perspective. Like, when I first came to AA, it was all about alcohol. And I've realized that AA isn't even about alcohol at all. AA is is what happens when you're done with the alcohol. (laughs) And how do you live when there's no alcohol? And I remember when I first came to AA, I was just like, I was just concentrating on, I hope I don't drink today. I hope I don't drink today, just walking away from the drink, but just thinking about, like, why does he get a drink? And it was just all about alcohol, alcohol. And then after doing the fourth and fifth step, it was like I did a 180 degrees turn. Instead of walking away from the drink, it was like I'm walking towards the solution or towards the mountain or whatever you want to call it. And um, it's, it's just given me a whole perspective change. And I have a bunch of different perspective changes, like... Maybe nothing happens in God's world by mistake. And um, I used to be really concerned with the truth. I just wanted to know the truth. Like, what is the truth? Is Jesus the truth or is Buddha the truth? And, and my sponsor was just like, you're never going to know the truth, you know. Um, he said, for some people, like, maybe the truth is God is everything from the clouds up and from the clouds down is just all man and me or whatever. Or maybe like God is the big decisions, but I'm the little decisions. And he's like, you know, you're never going to know. Pick what's most comfortable. So for me, it's like, what if just God is everything? And of my father, of myself, I am nothing. The father doeth the works. And to me, if, if it's all God, then that means that I don't get to take credit. I don't get to take credit for my accomplishments, but it also means that it takes away any of the shame and the blame, and that's huge for me because I spent a lot of time in that shame and the blame place. I remember um, for my ninth step, my sponsor was like, like he, he was telling me, like, it's not about saying sorry. He was like, I want you to show up at this person's house with a sponge saying, I'll clean your bathroom. And... Um, so he had me do a bunch of crazy stuff like that. And that girl that um, I was going out with that wasn't going out with me, um, I was, like, pretending to be her friend and, like, super scared to tell her, like, how I felt. So my sponsor, like, made me write a letter to tell her, like, I love you and this is how I've always felt. And he, like, made me send it and it was super scary. And... Um, and I did. That was part of my ninth step. And then she contacted me back and said, yeah, I have a boyfriend. So, um, <laughs> my sponsor, uh, I remember he told me, he, uh, one day he was like, I don't like the way that you're dressing. So he came over to my house and, um, he, he brought some, he, he brought some hefty trash bags and, um, 
he said, we're going to go through your closet and I'm going to go through each article of clothing and I'll, I'll put it in front of you. And if you say, maybe, like he'll say, do, do you like this, Duke? And I, if I say maybe, then we throw it out. Or if I say, I don't know, we throw it out. But if I say, fuck yeah, I love that shirt, then we're keeping it. So we went through all my clothing in my uh, closet. He'd be like, do you like these pants? I'm like, oh, I don't know, throw it out. Do you like these? Maybe. Goodbye. And um, do you like this? Pants. Fuck yeah, I love those. So um, we keep those. And the thing that I learned is that nature abhors a vacuum. What that means is that when there's a space, nature wants to fill that space. But the thing is, is if there's no space there, there's nothing for nature to fill it with. And in my closet, I have to get rid of the maybes and the I don't knows to make room for the fuck yeahs. <laughs> and if my life, if my life is filled with maybes and I don't knows, there's no room for fuck yeahs in my life. And that girl that was going out with someone else was kind of a maybe or I don't know, to be honest. And um, <laughs> so I, t- I was like, I'm going to take this into my love life. So I started, you know, after I broke up with the girl that wasn't going out with me, I started, uh, you know, going up to girls like, hey, so um, are you my girlfriend? And, you know, I would get like, uh, I don't really know you. And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to take that as an I don't know. Goodbye. So Until finally I... Uh, yeah, I, 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 met, I met the girl. I, uh, I was a musician and a songwriter, and um, someone at one of my uh, meetings was in a band. He was in an AA band called The Blackouts. There's, there, <laughs> there's probably a million AA bands called The Blackouts. Um, the last meeting I spoke at, there was, like, the Blackouts were in the um, crowd. So... Um, <laughs> But this guy was in the blackouts, and um, he said, hey, we're doing, we're doing this long gig, and we're getting people to play songs with us to, so we can fill out the time. Will you come play some songs with us? So I, I went to the blackouts band practice, and all of a sudden there was this, um, this, hot, this hot blonde singing uh, backup. And, um, and I, uh, you know, immediately fell in love, and um, I, I was... <laughs> I was a little bit shy, but luckily she stalked me, and um, and I finally got her phone number. It was the time it was the time when that movie Swingers came out, and um, they said seven days is money. So I waited seven days, and I called her, and um, that worked. Uh, she's we've been married, we've been together for twenty years, and um, we uh, we have two kids. Our, my first kid learned how to clap from coming to AA, and um, <laughs> so uh, we moved from San Francisco to Southern California. And I don't know if any of you guys have moved in sobriety, but moving is like it's like being a newcomer all over again with with none of the attention. And um, <laughs> And so, but the thing is, is I had all these tools that I got to use again. And I just went to meetings. I went to the same meetings every day. I sat in front and I raised my hand at every meeting. And all, next thing you know, everyone knew me. 
again. They're like, oh, hey, Duke, what's going on? And then um, takes about, I don't know, and I mean, right away, like, people are starting to talk to you, and um, I don't know. I felt like after a year, uh, you just, this is where I live now, and I'm comfortable here. Um, I remember before I got married, uh, me and my sponsor, uh, we wanted to start a, uh, a fun young people's meeting in sobriety, and uh, it was it was on a um, Friday night, and we wanted to we wanted the speaker to talk about relationships and sobriety because I heard that a lot of people drink over either finance or romance, and my sponsor was like, "Yeah, we're probably never going to have the finance part, so let's just focus on the romance." <laughs> so, um, so we started this young people's meeting, and uh, it was kind of a dud at first. And we would, we would tell the speakers, speak on relationships and sobriety. And so the speaker would just do his regular AA talk. And he wouldn't talk about relationships at all. And we're like, what the hell? So me and my sponsor would start conferring with each other. How can we force these people to talk about relationships and sobriety? And then we said, what if, what if we interviewed them? And then we're like, yeah, it'll be like a David Letterman show. And then we're like, yeah, it'll be, we'll have a sidekick. We'll have a top ten. And then so we started a talk show format meeting. And it was a lot of fun, and it's it's still going to this day. I um, I started it up when I moved down here, and one of the things that I've learned is that uh, you can find no matter what type of person you are, you can find those types of people in AA. If you're if you want to be rigid and super uptight, we have those meetings for you. <laughs> if, if you want to be a young and crazy and stupid, we have those meetings, you know. Um, if you want to be all men around you, we have that. Um, so we have everything. You, AA um, is the universal wrench. It fits all nuts. And, um, and I've learned that um, over time, AA can just adapt. It adapts with you, you know, because you're probably going to be changing. And so AA will eventually adapt with you. And... I heard that um, getting in a relationship in sobriety is like pouring miracle Grow on your character defects. And, <laughs> and um, that's been true. That's, that's been true. I've got to find out what my character defects are and my wife's. And, um, but the thing is, is that you get in a romantic relationship. I hope that you have worked the steps because if you have, then you have the opportunity to grow even more because all your stuff is going to come up, all your major issues. And you have a chance to look at them and grow, grow through them, uh, grow or go, or, or co, but choose grow or go. Uh, you don't want to just be codependent and awful. Um, so AA has given me, um, has given me a wonderful life. I um, even got an opportunity to follow my dreams in life. I, I, um, a lot of times you hear you know, people in AA, like they say like, so I had trouble with with working. I don't, I don't. I'm not like a work person. More of a vacation person. And um, and um, you know, you hear a lot of people in AA like, you know, you got to you got to get a job. And I'm like, but I don't like my job. And they're like, why it's called work? You go. And um, <laughs> so like, I kind of went down the wrong path for like ten years with like going into finance and and um, I was I hated it so bad. And um, so like when this last financial collapse came I was like I am never going to work in that industry again 
And I um, was like, this is like 2007. I'm like, I'm going to do just YouTube and um, replace Conan O'Brien and be a talk show person. And I, I threw my life. I, I know this sounds crazy, but I actually did this. I threw my life into um, starting a talk show out of my bedroom. And no one watched it. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And I had all these dreams. Like, I was seriously like, okay, sometimes in AA we might seem a little crazy. And um, I went through bankruptcy, foreclosure, repossession. Um, sometimes wives get mad at that kind of stuff. And, um, <laughs> but the weird thing is, is I, and I got this camera. I was like, I'm going to make a movie. And so I wanted to test out. My wife's a yoga teacher. And I'm like, I want to test out the camera to make a movie. So I, I filmed her. Uh, doing yoga, I put it up on the internet, forgot about doing my comedy stuff. Next thing you know, like, the yoga video has, like, a million hits and a bunch of subscribers, and, um, like, oh, my God, like, no one wants to watch my comedy, but everyone wants to watch this yoga. Next thing you know, like, we just, I focused on the yoga thing, and um, now I make a living on YouTube, um, me and my wife, uh, doing um, yoga. I'm living the millennial dream. Um, we, tr- we, traveled to, we traveled to Europe, and this summer we're going to go to Morocco and Greece and Amsterdam like to meet with all these yoga people that are from the internet, and um, it was all because I'm not a work person. And um, I think the point of that story isn't to quit your job and go through bankruptcy. Um, Please don't do that because it's very awful. Um, But what I think is, is that AA isn't about becoming what someone else in this room tells you you need to become. AA is about being true to yourself and finding out who you actually are. And uh, that's that's the biggest lesson that I've learned in AA is... uh, you know, maybe go follow your dreams or follow who you really are. And it might not work out the way that you want to, but maybe something else will work out that you hadn't never even thought of. At least that was my experience. So as a result of this program, I've been given a life. I've had a spiritual awakening. And um, thanks for letting me share. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.